Welcome back to the Peak Too Early podcast. This is episode seven of season three. Uh, it's that time of the year where the matches are uh, being squeezed in. So Oscar and I are trying to squeeze in a short little podcast before the midweek fixtures. I am Blake Munchell. I'm joined by the ever lovely Oscar Saywell. Oscar, how are you? Hello, hello. I am pretty good. I enjoyed this match week. And I thought there were some fun games. I think there are going to be some interesting things to talk about, and I am excited to dive into it. How are you, Blake? You are not currently in Maryland, I believe. Correct. I am in the beautiful Philadelphia, which I tried thinking of a British city equivalent of Philadelphia, but I couldn't really think of one. Um, mm. So, yeah. I can't help you, know. you there either, to be honest. Old city. That's okay. Lots of yeah. art, big art district. Mm. Uh, I don't know what that would be. Don't know. Sorry. Um, speaking of uh, things that you don't know, segue. We, I was gonna say, should we hop into talking about football? Please, let's do it. Um. Oh wow, roast roast me as well. That's fine. Um. Yeah, as you mentioned in the intro, matches coming thick and fast. I kind of didn't realize that there was a whole round of mid. Week fixtures. We saw Bournemouth. Sorry, we saw Brighton and Nottingham Forest draw nil nil today. Strange vibes from De Cherby so far at Brighton. Um, and Crystal Palace beating Wolves two one, which you texted me saying was a good game. So I'm not sure. Maybe you want to talk about that. Um, but why don't we wind it back to the weekend and talk briefly about a few standout games, Blake? Let's do a uh, magpies and hammers check. How did uh, Newcastle get on this weekend? Well, starting with Newcastle, we might end up talking for quite a while, but I guess we should get it okay. out of the way. Um, this was a very entertaining 0-0 draw. I listened to the first half, mm. so I was, and then was not able to listen to the second. I was playing football, um, nice. for which I had the assist to the game-winning goal. but. Uh, so I assumed that Newcastle would go on to dominate Man U in the second half. However, it was quite the opposite. Man U had the much stronger second half. Some notes from the game. Um, controversial in many regards. Uh, on one half, uh, Callum Wilson gets bundled over in the box. Rafael Varane makes no effort to play the ball. Uh, on the other side, Jaden Sancho is greeted by contact in the box and goes over a little bit easily. Both of these could have easily been given as penalties. Neither was. Um, teams of both, you know, Newcastle fans think the Wilson one was a penalty, the Sancho one wasn't, vice versa for Man U. Um, it also saw a penalty shout on Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, which was absolutely not a foul. It's only Man U fans are saying that that's a foul. Mm-hmm. Um, he literally just gets bodied off the ball and tries to claim it. But however, the most controversial part of this match was, I think it was just after halftime, weird incident where Nick Pope is lining up to take a goal kick Cristiano Ronaldo sort of just runs up, takes the ball, puts it into the empty net, 
Um, of course, you know, the second Cristiano Ronaldo touched the ball, the ref blew the whistle a yeah. bunch of times telling him to stop. However, you know, I think it's the case is made weaker by Cristiano Ronaldo not celebrating uh, what, you know, if he thought this was a goal, you know, he should celebrate. He immediately sprints at the ref, gets in their face, uh, mm. and so do nine outfield players for Manchester United. And this saw Manchester nice. United be fined um, yes. earlier today. Yeah. Um, Absolutely like, ludicrous that anyone would claim that this goal should stand. Um, I don't, you know, they claim because Cher essentially stops the ball. You know, the, there was a foul. All gets rolled back. Cher stops it. And then Pope comes up to take the goal kick. Mm. What Cristiano Ronaldo claims is by Cher stopping the ball, that's him starting play. And mm. therefore, the ball was in play. That's never been how free kicks work uh, in no. the Premier League. That's like, you know, I've never seen something like that be given. Um, and it happens all the time. And it's kind of, you know, weird that they thought this would stand. And, yeah. you know, I'm glad that they got disciplined. Yeah. Great. Um, well, are you happy with the point? Yeah, it was, you know, okay. dominated the first half, got dominated the second half. Two shots on target each. Um, um, you know, yeah, pretty fair match. To be honest, I have nothing to add on this because I I didn't watch it and then haven't even watched the highlights because, frankly, why would I watch nil-nil highlights for a teams that I'm not particularly committed to? Um, but I can talk a little bit about West Ham. I watched... About 50 minutes of this game overall. Um, and then we're sort of dipping in and out um, for the rest of it. Uh, from what I saw, we had 25 shots in this game to Southampton's 10. Um, I think that we, if we were at home, this would have been a 1-0 victory. I think our, the goal that we conceded on 20 minutes was pretty comical. Um, Socek with a horrible clearance and it sort of bounces off. The referee gets in the way and it bounces off. Ben Johnson and it goes deflected into the net and you know and then for the rest of the match from what I saw we we were clearly the better side um Declan Rice scored a great goal Skamaka had three or four pretty guilt-edged chances that he failed to put away um but overall played well again um I was disappointed to see Antonio only coming on in I think the 87th or 88th minute and perhaps he's being rested for tomorrow's game against Liverpool I think that I would play Antonio in a game against Liverpool because he's a high-impact player. Um, and yeah, one all. not much to say. We're in 13th, four points off you, um, Blake. And, and doing okay. We're in, a, we're in a good vein of form. I think Europe has helped us. And we're unbeaten in three in the Premier League now. Decent. And that's all I want to say on West Ham. Um, I... Yeah, just ha- I have a couple of points as I always do. Yes. Um, uh, point number one: Before the game, they said this was out of the last twenty-one games that Ralph Hasenhutl has been in charge of Southampton. They've lost fifteen. Uh, My God! Which that is, you know, Steve Bruce statistics. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's pretty bad. Uh, yeah. 
Then the other point was Southampton fans are quite uh, down in the dumps about their chances this year. Um, of staying up? Yeah, of staying mm-hmm. up, yeah. They would, um, on the game, the game chat forum, um, I was on the illegal stream that I watch. Sorry, <clears throat> legal stream that I watch. Legal, yes. Um, legal. They were talking about you know how the goal that they scored against you was the most comical goal they've scored. It was terrible. Yeah. Um, and you know the because it it's the ref and theoretically that should stop play, but yeah, yeah. Know. Um, you know they scored and they get a point and that's good enough, I suppose. It's. I mean, it's all right. I, I worry about Southampton too. I think they're interesting because they have a bunch of really young, really promising, exciting players, um, and and a manager who's just one big question mark. Like, I still don't know what to think of Ralph Hasenhutl, um, and I'm not sure Southampton right now are not going in the right direction. So I think of of all the clubs, not even of all the clubs, I think they're up there in terms of clubs who should be looking to use the World Cup break to change something up, for sure. Bring back Poch. That's what I say. Wow. Yeah. No, that'd be awesome. It would I be awesome. I don't think they quite have the ability. The finances? No. But for, uh, yeah. For Poch's managerial career, I don't know. He, he, he needs to stay away from super clubs because I don't think it suits him. Um, Blake, where do you want to go next? Because I'm, I'm spying Fulham Bournemouth as an interesting one. I'm very excited to talk about Liverpool City. Um, but do you want to go elsewhere first? What are you feeling? Let's save Liverpool City. We'll talk about that right. last. Um, Tottenham beats Everton. Quite standard match. Yes. Um, uh, Chelsea beat Aston Villa. Quite standard match. Leeds beat Arsenal. Or, sorry. Arsenal beats Leeds. Um, slight concern. Uh, from Arsenal fans talking about stamina, and they really yeah they thought, weren't very good. Yeah. yeah, they thought that they were going to lose against Leeds. Yeah, um, yeah. But what I want to talk to you about is Brighton under Tcherby. Mm. No wins, I believe. He's been in. He's been in for the last four, right? And so two. No, draw. three matches. This is the third match. Okay, never mind. It's even worse. One draw, two defeats. Yeah. Um, and it saw a 2-0 loss to Brentford, which, you know, fair. Brentford are sure. quite good. Um, and also a 0-0 with Nottingham Forest, which was a pretty poor match, in my opinion. They kind of kind of dominated uh, Nottingham Forest, but mostly taking pot shots. And, yeah. Um, you know, no, like, great chances that I can think of. Um, yeah. Oh, with today's one, it is four, you're right. Because it's three okay. three against Liverpool, which is very impressive. Um, but yeah, uh, Brighton. You know, I guess this is kind of to be expected. You know, Brighton lose their manager that was working wonders and overperforming yeah. um, based on squad talent. Um, and you know, we talked about when they signed to Cherby about how it was mm-hmm. a astute signing, and he might be yeah. able to do something. Yeah. Is there concern yet, or is it way too early? Does yeah. Jeremy need quite a few matches to I and whatnot? I refuse to. There's it's four matches, and there's no way we can we can say anything. I think. Um, 
especially because he was hired. I can't remember, was it maybe the last international break or something? But it's not as if he's had a lot of time to work with this squad. As we said in the beginning of this podcast, the games are coming thick and fast. And it's going to take more than, more than what is it, three weeks, barely, two, two and a half weeks to implement his style and to get something going. Um, they've played in this time, as you said, right? They played Liverpool, they drew 3-3. Tottenham, who are a good side, they lost 1-0. Brentford, who are a good side, lost 2-0. Today's result against Nottingham Forest is disappointing for sure. But I think it's way too early. The thing is, I it's going to get worse before it gets better because they play City and Chelsea in the next two matches. Um, so Brighton fans need to be patient. I wouldn't be worried if I was them. I doubt that they are worried either. It's just, as we said a couple of weeks ago or a few weeks ago when Potter left, it's a shame. It's a shame that he left. It's a shame that that project has to shift and change. And um, we'll just have to wait and see where where they go from here. They still have the structure um, at the club. is still very sustainable. They still recruit excellently. They still have great players. So I think the Cherby, as we discussed, is a bit of a maverick not a maverick signing. He's a bit of a... He implements some chaos football because he's known for scoring a lot of goals and conceding a lot. But he's also up against a Brighton side, which is a bizarre statistical anomaly. They don't score. So, I mean, I'm sure he thought when he's put three past Liverpool, he was like, oh, great, I'm, I'm doing my thing. But since then, they have scored zero goals. So um, the old Brighton curse strikes again. And, and he's got to figure out a way to to fix it. But I'm I don't think we can really say anything about it yet. Give it and give it until the new year and then we can talk. Okay. Yeah, very fair. Um yeah, yeah I think you know, it's way too early. Plus, you know, Brighton actually do have a really decent squad. Um, they have a very good squad. They do because their recruitment is excellent. Um talking just sort of about another interesting match, you know, between two sides that are you know pretty close in the table, Fulham and Bournemouth. Um, you pegged this as one of your super yeah. interesting matches last week. Um, yes, not quite as I think the game sort of fizzled out a little bit. Um, sure. but I think I think it's partly due. Bournemouth made some good substitutions at the end that kind of killed off any hope yeah. of a Fulham comeback or completing the full comeback. Um, sure. But, yeah, you know, good draw. But I think both teams are relatively happy with that. Well, yeah, and I think that these are two surprise packages of the season. And uh, ever since um, Bournemouth sacked Scott Parker, uh, they've been excellent. Genuinely, they're playing good football. Um, And, you know, in Gary O'Neill, they have a... uh, They have a... I think he's still an interim manager who is doing wonders with them, really. Um, I'm not... I, the question I have off this is, for you, really, is um, does this reflect really badly on Scott Parker? Because these two teams, his two ex-teams, have really thrived since he has left slash been fired. And, um, yeah, I don't know. What does this say for Scott Parker to you, that these two teams are playing so well and, and having such success in the top tier? I was going to say this is the Scott Parker derby. Um... Other than Newcastle West Ham, um, sure. The other Scott Parker Darby, um, 
I don't know. I, you know, I really want to like Scott Parker. So I'm definitely a little bit biased. Um, yeah. Just because of his, you know, icon status for Newcastle. Yeah. Um, and he's, you know, uh, it, I really want him to be a successful manager. So it's like hard to say that he might not be cut out for for the top tier. Yeah. Level. But, you know, he's only been managing for not long. He's not, young. Yeah, not very long. He's very young in his career. So, yeah. Um, I think maybe it's just a case of the top flight is it's too early for him. Um, and uh, he should spend a few years really carving out a better identity that is more sustainable. Because he's had, you know, very brief, uh, you know, flights of success. It's just the wheels always come off at some point. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I have to agree with that. Other points in this game, Issa Diop getting on the score sheet for Fulham. Uh, West Ham, almost cult hero. Um, Issa Diop, um, classic bullet header. You know, just shout out Issa Diop, I guess. Um, ended, he ended his West Ham career not really being in the team, but lest we forget, I mean, in fact, this he would have been a candidate or is now a candidate for our old, uh, you know, peak too early wonder kid segment because this is a guy who captained Toulouse as a teenager. He was once valued by us at like 75 million pounds. We turned down some really high bids for him. Um, he had really high expectations in the beginning of his West Ham career. Never really lived up to them. Um, still only 25. We sold him to Fulham for like 15 million pounds in the summer. And he, um, he's been doing really well there um, and has slotted, slotted into, into the team um, at the back after taking a few weeks to, to bed himself in. And yeah, just I, I guess I wish him all the best is what I wanted to say. And then another possible peak too early guy on the score sheet, Dominic Solanke, scored two minutes in. Um, and he uh, is playing decently for Bournemouth this season. Um, two goals, three assists in eight appearances is really not bad. Uh, and maybe starting to show signs that he can be an okay player for a certain type of Premier League club. Not the the uh, the world-class player we, we thought he would be when he... Um, burst onto the scene like seven, eight years ago. But um, yeah, it was just a all around a, a decent game, I thought. And Mitrovic getting on the score sheet once again. Yes, um, I thought it was quite a poor match from Mitrovic, but yes, ended up on the score sheet, won a penalty. Um, yep. Seven and nine. Fun facts about Dom Solanke: He is mm. almost an entire year younger than Issa Diop. Which is crazy because Lanky's well, been around for, you know, years. Um, yeah, he has. He made his yeah. made his senior debut in twenty fourteen. He did for Chelsea. Yeah, strange, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah, but uh, overall, you know, fine match. Um, I texted you during this match that Tim Ream had one of the tackles of the year. Um, yeah, saving like uh, it was one on one with the goalkeeper, and he comes uh, from behind. You know the nine goal in scissor slide tackle thing from behind yes. where he like hooks yeah. his leg backwards so that he can keep the ball? That's essentially what Tim Ream did. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, shout out 
Americans. Yeah, I don't know. Tim Reen, man reborn, man. I just, I don't know what's going on with him, but he's yeah, been excellent reborn. this season at the ripe age of 35. So, okay. Good on um, him. Moving on really quickly. Uh, Leicester City Crystal Palace. Um, I want to quickly talk about Leicester and then springboard into Crystal Palace. Awesome. Um, I learned something about Leicester City. Oh. which I think you would be interested in because we've okay. talked back and forth, back and forth. Like, why isn't Rogers gone yet? Supposedly, it's because Rogers, in so many different positions in the club hierarchy, you know, from top to bottom, yeah. has his own hires in those positions. Oh, so really? Leicester City don't want to get rid of Rogers because getting rid of him now means having to replace rid of a- all of those positions. Oh. Um, and so it's both too expensive and too difficult to make such a swift change like that in the middle of a season. So wow. maybe expect to see him gone during the World Cup break. And they have, wow. you know, they don't have to turn this around in three days. They can turn things around in three weeks. Yeah, that makes sense. That talking is very about, interesting. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was very interesting. Um, talking about Crystal Palace, however, despite a 0-0 draw, with Leicester City, <clears throat> with Leicester City, they then today beat Wolves two one. In a excellent comeback, a thrilling match, and just the lineup that Crystal Palace is able to put out with Edward, Olise, Eze, and Zaha makes such an interesting and dynamic front line um, that totally bamboozled. Wolves in the second half. Um, it was very fun to watch. They were very fluid. Everyone was everywhere. The Zaha goal was oh. amazing. Um, and, you know, shout out Palace. They're a very nice team. Um, mm. Selhurst Park up, up was... Up to 10th. Selhurst Park was absolutely bombastic. Bouncing, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. great match. Um, yeah, well, we, we love Crystal Palace on this podcast, it has to be said. Yeah, everyone's second favorite team. Used to be Leicester. Not anymore. Um, yeah. So, um, does that leave us just with Liverpool and Man City to discuss? I think it might. Um, and you know what? A incredible game this was. I watched the it in its entirety. And it was just electric. That was really the the word I I think I would use to describe it. Um, Liverpool running out one nil winners, and it really had everything to me for me. Um, and it really solidified that I think these are the two best teams in the country, despite the fact that Arsenal are playing so well right now. the The whole vibe that you got from it was, oh, these are the two heavy hitters because the quality of football on display was far and away the best that I've seen so far this season. Um, the Just the tactical battle, the physical battle, the player commitment, um, it was all there. And I think it was sweetened by antics on the sideline by managers and the crowd interacting with the players and with the managers and just the, the sense of atmosphere at Anfield and um it was it was a delightful game it really was um i want to let you talk about it first because there are two key things i i want to discuss with you that i think will be 
make a, a really interesting conversation. But um, take it away if you have thoughts about this game. Okay, I will avoid the what two on the topics pitch. that I'm guessing yes. you're going to yes. ask me about. Um, my thoughts on this match, yeah, definitely clearly a uh, showing that Liverpool is not done. Um, that their eighth place uh, current standing, I think it was ninth when they kicked off, um, is not how this season will end. Um, and they will surely make their way back up to the top, unless something happens. Um, also, just the sheer quality that Manchester City has. Uh, you know, we talk about it every single week, but uh, it just makes Liverpool's win even more impressive. I was particularly impressed by Phil Foden. Um, I think, you know, I mean, it's undeniable to have a great career. Um, but you can just see how absolutely world class he is right now. And, you know, he's still, what, 21, 22? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's it. Uh, I was very impressed that uh, at Joe Gomez in the back line is able to shut out Man City. But, uh, you know, I guess good on him. And uh, yeah. also this match saw Mo Salah score, which... It did. Uh, you know, lots has been said about his quality or his form this season. Um, and yeah, it was very impressive. Okay, talk to me. What I'm assuming about the Holland goal and the yep. Klopp incident. Yeah, so those are the two key points I want to talk about. Um, a lot has been made of City scoring. So I, it was Phil Foden who put the ball in the back of the net after a sequence of play that we're going to sort of dissect in a second um, to put Man City... It was 1-0 ahead, wasn't it? Um, yes. And the goal was ruled out after VAR intervention and the referee, who, by the way, I think had a fantastic game. I think he managed this game really well um, after the referee went to the monitor and overturned his previous decision. Now, I'm sure most people who are listening to this, including yourself, obviously, have seen what happened. Um, and I want to sort of lay out my thoughts about it after a couple of days of listening to lots of analysis about it on different podcasts and reading about it and then sort of hear what you have to say. Um, we're cheating a little bit because we texted a bit about it, but I kind of want to lay it out on the pod because I think it would just be a really interesting conversation. So the incident in question, right? In the lead up to the goal, um, Holland grabs Fabinho. Fabinho has received the ball and he is looking to pass it off uh, to another Liverpool player. But Holland while making a, a challenge or sort of a tackle, grabs Fabinho's shirt and hauls him to the ground. When the play is happening, the referee sees nothing wrong with it. He lets the play go on. Uh, VAR says something in his ear and he rules it out after the goal has been scored for that incident. Now, the side bit to this is that the referees came out afterwards and said that the goal would have been ruled out anyway because of something to do with, I think it was Holland kicking the ball out of Allison's hands, and they would have ruled that the that he had two hands on the ball, and therefore it would have been a, a foul. You can't do that to a goalie. But let's put that. that let's put that to the side for a second. So the referees came out and said that after the match, but let's put that to the side for the second and isolate this one incident. While most people I've 
listen to agree that it is a foul and the goal should have been ruled out. There, there is a, there are people that are saying um, either that it. So Jamie Carragher on Sky Sports, for example, diehard Liverpool fan, he said, "Oh, it's a fifty-fifty challenge. Like it could have gone either way, right?" There are other people, other pundits saying, like, you know, we have to have the conversation. Like, why was this ruled out? I'm going to ignore the hyperbolic games gone stuff, but and focus more on pundits and analysts saying, well, there's a real conversation to be had here about why that goal should be ruled out. Again, let's let's just take away the, the what the referee said about the second incident and take this like isolate this particular challenge. From my perspective, it, I think that the foul is made more egregious by the outcome of the sequence of play. The outcome of the sequence of play is a goal being scored. And therefore, because the incident, because the foul occurs directly, you know, it, it's a, it, it directly before the goal, um, it makes the foul worse, right? So in the context of the outcome of this situation, the foul is worse, and therefore you can punish it more harshly, or you can focus on it more than you would if it happened, I don't know, you know, like I said to you before, if it happened uh, right before it went out for, the ball went out for a throw-in. So I think that the argument about whether the goal um, should have stood is irrelevant because the foul is made worse because of the goal being scored. Now, I know you said you disagreed with me a little bit, and when I read through your text, I was kind of confused so i'm really interested to hear what your perspective is on it so i guess my main disagreement with you is i agreed that it should have been the goal should have been overturned but i disagree with the reason why um that you are fine with the goal being overturned my reason mm -hmm. was being that uh Pretty much any time the referee sees one player grab another player's shirt and there's the twisting motion that causes the player to go to ground, they're going to call it. Um, you know, shirt grabbing, you know, has been long debated on whether or not, like, how far is too far in shirt grabbing. Um, but that involves, you know, just running in a line, hugging on shirts, not yeah. grabbing and twisting which is what happens to Fabinho, and he goes over. So the reason I'm fine with this goal being overturned um, is as much as, like, I think it's relatively soft, um, and I would almost always rather see goals happen than goals not happen. Yeah. Um, the reason why I'm fine with it being overturned is because that's going to be called a foul every single day. Um, I don't even think it's super controversial, um, yeah, I would say that's a pretty medium take by me, who's known for having out of left field takes. Yeah. Um, yeah. your point, I so I disagreed with that being the reason the goal should have been overturned. I agree with your point that that's the way things are. However, morally, they shouldn't happen that way, in my opinion. Like, I, I think a foul is a foul, whether or not it leads to a goal. I understand, you know, we don't live in, like, a 
one and zero type world um, where yeah. things either are definitely a foul or definitely are not. Um, and to me, it shouldn't matter the outcome of the uh, you know run of play. But yeah. I get that's you know the way it works. So I'm fine with your statement in a practical way. But morally, I disagree with that's the way it should be. Yeah. Um, talking really quickly, unless there's you want a rebuttal. No, no, no. I, I, I think I agree with that perspective. Or at least I can understand that perspective for sure. I did not hear that referees came out and said this goal would have been overturned anyways. Yeah. Uh, that is egregious to me. That is never a foul on Allison. Um, mm. I... It, he, I think, you know, he has a hand on the ball, but that doesn't mean he has possession. It doesn't mean that Holland can't play on the ball. Yeah. Uh, there's even a well-documented precedent in the Premier League that, you know, that goalies don't have 100% immunity in these situations. Um, you know, we saw it, like, many times last year where... Yeah. Uh, like, it happened to Nick Pope, like, three times where he gets when he was playing for Burnley, where he gets his hands on the ball, clatters into someone, drops the ball, and then uh, they put it in the net. So, terrible decision from whoever you heard that from. Yeah. Yeah, I would, have, I would agree that the, if they had ruled it out for the second incident, that would have been an error. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, Blake, is, is the incident involving... Jurgen Klopp. Now, both managers were very animated on the sideline throughout the match. And I think that, actually, if you park Klopp for one second and just focus on Pep Guardiola, I, I think that says a lot about how badly Pep Guardiola didn't want to lose this match. And that sounds like an obvious statement. But I think that his antics show show a fear at Liverpool that isn't necessarily present for other teams and even elite teams. And the Anfield crowd was really getting under his skin. He was, there was a period of time where he was really having a back and forth between them. Now that there are some nasty stuff going around that he had coins thrown at him and, you know, he was just getting this abuse. He was whipping up that crowd a lot for sure. Um, but it, it definitely added to the atmosphere. I, I, did, I did enjoy how animated they were getting on the sideline until Klopp ruined it by just being so aggressive toward a fourth official um and the incident got him sent off and after the match he did his classic classic Jurgen Klopp thing where he said oh you know that's my bad it was it wasn't acceptable I apologize I'm sorry kind of thing um all of this wrapped up in the week where the FA is launching a campaign about abuse uh against officials throughout the pyramid, but especially at the grassroots level, where we see lots of genuine violence, physical violence against referees and, you know, just, a, you know, nasty stuff that happens to referees that makes our game objectively worse. Um, there's sort of two things I want to talk about here. I think that in the, you know, when we talk about football, I think we are kind of different i think you go sometimes you you have the tendency to go more two-footed in on like players or referees and i am far too 
nice about it and I get too starry-eyed, I think, about like just the situation. Um, and so I I think we do disagree also on whose fault it is. Is it the is it the fault is is it the referees that are incompetent or is it the system that is incompetent? Um, I think we might slightly disagree on that. And then also the other thing I want to talk about is Jurgen Klopp himself and the way that he conducts himself um, as a manager and what he gets away with. Which one do you want to start with first? Do you want to talk about referees and? how they're treated and versus like how good they are at their jobs. Or do you want to talk about Klopp? Which one do you want to talk about? Um, I guess Klopp is yeah. I feel like we can continue talking more related to this match and then we can kind of branch out, branch out general more generally. I don't think, yeah, I don't think we'll, you know, I don't think there's much of a discussion to be had about Klopp. I just want to put my two cents in. Again, with all this, all these, all this stuff I've been hearing, this is a pattern from Jurgen Klopp now, right? Like we know this guy is a sore loser, and we know that he has a tendency to get very aggressive with fourth officials, with referees. This is the first time he's been sent off, I believe, and he deserves it. And I think I just read that he got a ban, so he he won't be on the touchline um, against West Ham tomorrow, which is. Uh, so when managers get red cards, they're not automatically banned from the touchline. The FA has to specifically give them a charge. Um, but the thing I want to highlight here with Klopp is I don't understand how he keeps getting away with this. And I particularly don't like that the narrative around it is when he apologizes, people are like, oh, well, you know, good on him. What else can he really? I keep hearing this phrase, well, what else can he do now? He's apologized. He's good. I hate this phrase because. This guy needs to get counseling or something, right? Like he clearly has a problem and it's it's not okay for us to, for people to sit there and say, oh, he has, he's apologized. It's fine. We can move on. Good on him for apologizing. He needs to put in the work to stop behaving like this, right? And I think that it's it's so interesting in in football. It, it's so, it's unlike any other profession in that, you know, we talk about it being a professional game and it's high stakes, but there are other jobs out there that are much more serious and much more high pressure. And if you conducted yourself like that, you would get fired, right? And I'm not trying to suggest that Klopp should get fired or that even managers who engage in this kind of behavior should get fired. You know, they're just reflecting the culture of football that has, you know, been pervasive in the game since probably day dot. But I think we need to start having a much more explicit conversation about this. And I, I think that something definitely needs to change because the way that managers abuse officials and the way that players abuse officials and the way that fans abuse officials is counterproductive to the game as a whole running smoothly. And it, it sets a terrible example for everyone watching. Um, and so I think, you know, clock needs to 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 step up and stop doing this yes um yeah you know the normal preface from me um i hate jürgen klopp i think he's a whinging little baby yeah you um, really don't like it yeah but um yeah you know like of course you know there's no place for verbal abuse which is what this is um in you know any profession you know, if you essentially he's superior to these 
referees. This is the equivalent of, you know, your principal at school, you know, screaming yeah. at a teacher in front of all the kids. It, so, exactly. Um, and then, you know, in terms of imaging and, uh, you know, the worldwide audience of especially a high-profile match like this, um, you know, this is like something that four or five other managers have said um, when asked about the Klopp incident is yeah, um, they were like, oh, well, you know, I understand when I'm on TV, you know, there's millions of people, including children, watching me. Yeah, I need to set an example. If I scream at a referee, that teaches them yeah. that it's okay to scream at a referee. It's so, okay. Yeah. Lampard said it today, actually. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, so did Eddie Howe. Um, so, you know, I think super, you know, uh, a one-match ban is too little. Um, yeah, he's never going to learn from a one-match ban. Um, yeah, and, you know, I don't know if a guy like Klopp is, you know, capable of learning stuff like this. Like, you know, 60-year-old men don't change very easily. Um, so, uh, you know, I think, you know, he needs some pretty serious uh, discipline. I don't know. Yeah. You know, the Premier League's generally very lenient, but uh, I don't know, maybe with the FA's new initiatives, we'll see a slightly stricter um, thing. But this match won't be the match that, this incident won't be the incident that changes who Klopp is. Um, or the Premier League's views towards abuse towards officials. Um, so uh, I don't think anything will change uh, in the very near future. Maybe in the short-term future, we'll see something. But Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, and then and I hope in terms some change. Yeah. referees in general, mm. um, it's kind of like everything needs to change. Um, one, the system desperately needs an overhaul. Um, when the MLS does something better than you. Like, yeah, you know, oh God, please, please change. Um, and uh, I'm like the MLS's number one hater. Um, hater slash lover. Um, yeah. But uh, so, yeah, like the system needs to change the referees. You know, there's too much like legacy in refereeing. Um, you know, like bad referees can just coast by just because they've been there forever. Um, so, you know, that needs to change. There needs to be better promotions, you know, stuff like that. Foreign referees, um, all that stuff. So both the system and the referees need to change. Um, and in general, attitude towards referees, because, you know, if referees don't get abused so much, more will come through the referee academies and whatnot. So, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I agree with you. And I think I just, um, I'm, I wasn't trying to say that we like have disagreements about, uh, you know, referees being, treated poorly i just think that it is interesting sometimes to note that um people who are involved in foot not involved in football because we're not involved in football but people who are passionate about football um i think you can generally fall into two camps there are people that believe that referees are really incompetent and it's the referee's fault um and there are people that sort of believe that it's more of a systemic problem and i think we both fall on the, on the latter side so 
Um, I wasn't yeah, trying I was to suggest say. anything there. Um, yeah, um, I think we have incompetent referees who are yeah. set up to fail by the system. So, yeah, um, exactly. And yeah, I just think it's interesting the, the the role that the media plays in it as well. And I think that the the media doesn't step up and and claim responsibility for it. I, I think, for example, that there. I, mean, I don't know if you. You agree with this referees after a match i think there should be a blanket ban on that um because it just encourages ridicule and we've seen it a bunch of times this season um marine jose Mourinho, for example is was is i don't know what he does in italy but in the english media he's a master of it he you know he ridicules referees without well sometimes with by directly talking about them and also by indirectly talking about them um and i think that you know if if English football is going to take this issue seriously, and it is an incredibly serious issue at the grassroots level, then it, I think it really is a top-down thing, um, and and they need to set an example um, at the elite level. Yeah, especially at a grassroots level. Um, yeah, you know, it's you know I watch a decent amount of grassroots football, just teams that record their games, um, and uh, the amount of times you know they have like two incidents per season where. Someone swings at a referee. Um, right. So, yeah. Yeah. And that's really horrible. Ridiculous. Absolutely um, horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. Any other thoughts? Um, about either um, about Klopp and refereeing or from this match day? Not particularly. I, you know, I just, I wanted to, to chat about that because I've heard not necessarily a bunch of rubbish about this stuff, but just things where... I thought people were kind of missing the point and I needed your um your articulate sage perspective Blake. Um overall good match day and Liverpool uh we what Liverpool are unbeaten at Anfield in front of a crowd since 2017. Uh so we have absolutely no chance of beating them tomorrow. I will take a draw. Of course I will take a draw. Um I guess I'll throw in really fast Joe Gomez fantastic performance um fantastic performance that guy was amazing um and also in the chelsea match kepper who has been playing for the past few games initially because mondi was injured but now he's keeping him on the bench had a uh, a sensational game um and looks like potter kind of prefers him right now so that's a really interesting twist keep your eye on that yeah i was gonna say it's a combination of mondi having a really shit run of form and also uh being unfit um but yeah you know kepa kind of was under tuchel you know sort of rebuilding his reputation already um so i suppose it's not the most surprising thing that he had a good match against aston villa but um yeah i guess good for him uh yeah you know i don't love the guy but whatever uh, i guess yeah good to have yeah. more good players playing in the premier league um yeah you just brought up um liverpool something something not losing in front of a crowd blah 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 um things yes. i don't care because they're about liverpool sure, uh, sure. about newcastle and manchester united i have two i have one fact for you and then i have one trivia question for you um so before this 0-0, three of the last four matches Newcastle played against Manchester United 
was 4-1 to Man U, um, which is just atrocious. Um, that's, you know, not something you want to see. But my question for you is, since the 1970s, how many times has Newcastle United won at Old Trafford? Since the 1970s? Yep. Uh, five. Way off. Ten. One. Okay. Newcastle United. One. One. And it was the Are Sean Longstaff. Oh, oh my God. Was that's it what really? the Athletic said today. I didn't the fact Matthew Longstaff one. No, that was at Newcastle. Sean Longstaff winner was at Old Trafford on Dubravka's debut. Um, that, uh, unless the Athletic just straight up lied, uh, is the only time Newcastle has won at Old Trafford. Um, which I don't know if that includes. It's like a very hard to believe because Newcastle have a lot of very historic wins against Man U, but thinking about them, all the very famous ones, like the 5-0, the 3-1, happened at St. James's. So, um, yeah. Mm. Um, okay. Great, great stuff. Before we leave, um, tell me what games you're looking forward to tomorrow and Thursday, I guess. Um... Absolutely not the West Ham one. Brentford Chelsea, I think, could be good. Um, I wish Arsenal City were playing tomorrow, but that's been postponed. Yeah. Uh, I think that Fulham Villa, we could see the the bye bye Stephen Gerrard. Um, and yeah, no, I'll, I'll highlight those. I think I think the, those are the ones that I'm looking forward to. Yes, um, I'll throw in Newcastle Everton. Always a great match for one of. Oh three. really? Okay. Yeah. So many okay. classics. The 3-2 Ayose Perez comeback. The 2-2 the 94th and 97th minute uh, goals to equalize. The 3-1 uh, Eddie Howe's first, mat, or first win. Um, and then the 1-0 uh, at Goodison last year um, in like the 97th minute uh, by Alex Awobi. Um, and then I'll go my drab match uh, Spurs menu. Um, being a, we're due for a really shit uh, big clash. So um, that will be my mm. prediction. Um, Oscar, anything else? I got nothing. I also have nothing. Um, so this has been episode seven of season three of the Peak Too Early podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, please rate us, review us, tweet us, email us, um, and generally uh, send your messages our direction. Uh, thank you for listening, yes. and take care. Bye.